Tom. And um, that's better. It really is good to see you. And uh, this is Arena Church Mansfield. It is a, a church in the sense that it's not a church building. And some people had a problem with that when we first started. Um, but the reality is that for the first 300 years of the Christian church, nobody met in a building. And it grew like wildfire. And uh, it's a bit disconcerting to people that put all their confidence in a building. But all our confidence is in Jesus. He's building the church. And the church is people, not bricks and mortar. That said, we say a hearty amen to all that Christians share because it is a boat to fish from that helps us bring in the catch that God has determined for this town for such a time as this. I say it's a church because we have four gentlemen coming tonight who thought they'd come to a pub. And that's why during the worship time they went out again. And uh, anyway, they got a couple of songs and it may give them something to think about. Let's pray tonight. The Spirit of God will so pull them on them while they're trying to get to sleep that they'll come again next week. Amen? It wouldn't be the first time that somebody's got saved who thought they'd come to the wrong place. <laughs> Acts 13, if you've got a Bible, I'm going to share. Uh, thank you for people that were with us this morning. And uh, uh, sometimes in terms of how we do ministry, uh, the ministry differs and sometimes it's uh, similar. But I trust that God will just bring an inspiration again tonight. And I think it is an appropriate word right across the church uh, for today. So Acts chapter 13. And uh, if we could put the title up, thank you. And uh, I'll read a few verses because that's the title of the message tonight. Acts 13, it says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Paul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, later Paul, of course, for the work for which I've called them. So after they fasted and prayed, there it goes again, we've already heard tonight, they laid or placed hands on them and sent them off. And then in Acts chapter 27 and verse 25, which I'm just going to make a reference to, but some of you will know the incident well, that Paul's seeking to get to Rome, he's on a ship, the ship hits a storm, everybody's fearful, the flotsam and jetsam gets sort of cast overboard, it seems like everything's going to be destroyed. But he met with God. In verse 25, he said to the people on board, So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, it's often the the words that contain what we call the charge, the, the commitment of ministry to people that are leading church. And at the end of that, Paul, nearing the end of his life, speaks to Timothy and says, I fought a good fight. I finished the race, I've kept the faith. That middle section there in some Bible translation says, I have finished the course. And tonight, brothers and sisters here at Arena Mansfield, I want to encourage us to be people that stay on course. Stay on course. You see, for the next few minutes, I want you to pretend that you're on a ship. And for some of you, that might bring pleasant experiences in, in the sense that you've enjoyed a, a cruise in, in balmy temperatures And for some of you, you can think about your car going across the channel and you timed it at the wrong time or the Irish Sea and you're feeling seasick already. But the reality is tonight that actually we need a bit of all of that in terms of what God's called us to do. Staying on course. I'll I'll embellish it a little as we go along in terms of what God's trying to say to us tonight. But the reality is this, that if Arena Mansfield by God's grace, doesn't define what it's called to be for such a time as this. There'll be other people, other events, and other circumstances that will seek to do so. 
Christian and me sometimes get interesting emails through from people that live in this town, no names mentioned, that try and define what we're supposed to be doing in this church. They get fairly short shrift because we have a sense of what God wants us to do in the church for such a time as this. You see, two years tonight, we pitched up at Arena Mansfield. Isn't that incredible? We'd, we'd spoken on July last year, uh, sorry, July 2010, about the, the, the church at Ladybrook becoming Arena Mansfield. August, actually, we didn't have a church. Nobody met. And then we started. It's been a fantastic journey. I can't think of really going on one Sunday night when I thought, hmm, you know, it's, sort of, it's just been great. There's been a great atmosphere from the word God, great fellowship, people getting saved. People being baptized, people finding a spiritual home, folks that have come out of a desert and really found a sense of God's purpose and plan in their lives. Just been fantastic for God to keep us on track with what he's called us to be for such a time as this. There were people that prophesied it won't last six weeks. Don't you just love those prophecies? It's going to be a car crash. It's going to be a train wreck. It's never going to work. But we're still here, friends. And we're determined by God's grace to continue to grow for his glory. And as we recognize that, then I want us to see tonight that it's so important that we stay on the course. During the summer, I was flipping through some old books in, in the office and just, just sort of, sort of just having a, an hour just doing that. Came across a book that um, documented the story of Kensington Temple, which is found in the west of London, in a very salubrious part of the capital, quite near the Royal Albert Hall. And uh, it charted the path of that growth of that great Pentecostal church. In 1980, Wynne Lewis became the leader and pastor of that church. It had been a great church for many years under the able leadership, shepherd leadership of Alvin Corsi, 500 people in the church. Over the next 10 years, that 500 went to 5,000. Today, under the leadership of Colin Dye, they've, in the healing movement, got their own region, their church. They've got how many church plants, friends, in the M25 area, but they've got their own, their own area, you know. And God's just done an amazing thing. But in this book, there was a reference to Lem Rammel, and Lem was obviously one of those elders that have been around a long time. You need that sort of guy. Got a bit of a journey, had the smell of the sheep, understood where he was going. And he says, when Wynne Lewis came in, he took it by the scruff of the neck, first week. If any of you have ever listened to the late Wynne, you'll know what he meant, you know. He, he made a virtue of impatience, you know. And the, the fact that but a great sense of God on him. And the reality is he preached the message in the church about what he saw as the ideal church. And the ideal church, as he saw it, was built on the Antioch model. It set me thinking. And I went back to the 3rd of February 2009 because we did a message in the church. It was an Arena Mansfield at the time, Arena Ilkeston just. And a series on the book of Acts, which we call the book with no end. And if you read the book of Acts, chapter 28, there is no end to it. It's just the kingdom going on and on. You see, we're still in the book of Acts 2,000 years later. And we talked about a flagship church and we based it on the principles of the Antioch model. I said to Christian just this morning, I'm not sure quite what the picture was that we had as clear now as we did then but somehow in faith we put it out there we sense that god was doing something for such a time as this and in the ancient battles the flagship church would lead the fleets it would carry the admiral in other words it had authority it would be the ship that others looked to it was the vessel that sort of led 
the rest to a place of victory and overcoming. And with great humility, but also great sense of faith, we really continually believe that God has called us, friends, in these days to set a course to be a flagship church with the authority of God upon us that will move into all that God has called us to be for such a time as this. On occasions, it will take us into completely fresh waters. It's called faith. And it may be that you're here tonight and actually you're coming into a season where you've got to swim and sail in completely fresh waters. And you're saying to God, well, how's it all going to work out? And what's it going to look like? And will you give me Z? You've not even stepped into B yet. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. You've got to go on the journey, friends. And we can go on the journey together with a sense of security. When one of us is down, another one will be up. And when somebody else is in, another person will be out. In other words, we can just keep the whole thing moving together so that we stay on course. In that time of two years, two and a bit, two and a half years since that message, including Arena Mansfield, we've gained some new crew. It's been fantastic. They pitched up friends and now they're serving on the ship. It's amazing. Wonderful to see. Not only saved, but also serving. And I've come to realize that Christianity is not boring. If you think Christianity is boring, you're born to a lie. See, if you'll commit to the adventure, you won't have enough time in the day to do everything that God's called you to be. We don't go to boring services. We don't try and preach boring messages. We're not belonging to something that is boring, but something that is adventurous. We have to say that as well as people jumping on the ship, sometimes people have jumped off it for good reasons, because they've moved on in the purpose of God to other places, and occasionally for not so good. The waters on occasions have been wonderfully calm. Those beautiful, calm summer's days, when the sun is shining down on me and the world's all as it should be. Thank you, Matt Redmond. Blessed be your name. But also, as you all know that you go on a vessel, sometimes you inevitably hit choppy waters. The storm gets whipped up by the winds and you're up and down on the waves. Sometimes we can even be tempted to ignore the powers of navigation. And you see, praise attracts the navigational system of God. He homes in on praising, worshipping communities I'll come to in a moment. says, this is the way. Go in it. And there are times, friends, where we may be tempted to do our own thing and go our own way. But the reality is that God continually brings us back onto the track. You know, maritime history has been littered with ships that have done their own thing and ended up with inevitable disaster. Just this year, we commemorated the 100th celebration of the sinking of the Titanic. Many reasons and uh, opinions as to why it uh, hold itself on the iceberg. But one is that actually the ship's company sort of ignored navigational systems because they were so intent in breaking the blue ribbon and being the quickest ocean liner to get across the Atlantic that there were warning signs flashing and they just ignored them sadly at their terrible peril and thousands, hundreds of people perished. Remember that guy a couple of years ago that was captain of the, um, the, 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 uh, the cruise ship and, and it ran aground and all of a sudden people that were looking forward to the holiday of a lifetime were literally battling for their life. The report told us he was waving to somebody on the seashore, ignoring the bridge and sort of dere- a complete dereliction of his duties when boom, the ship was hauled. 
and uh, chaos reigns. I want to say, friends, that we live in a 21st century culture that would seek to do that to us. John chapter 10 says, The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness. And the enemy of our lives has no sentiment about holding the vessel, whether it be as corporately or as personally. Sometimes, friends, it's just a subtle, well, how about, how about sort of pitching up for calmer waters? Just calm down. Christian, calm down. You're getting all excited about these buildings, mate. Just calm down. How about safer waters? How about returning to the dock and pulling the ropes in? Oh, that's nice, isn't it? But friends, it's not the calling of Arena Church. It really isn't. It'd drive us nuts if we went back to dock. We're called to the ocean high seas. We're called to sometimes enjoy the sun on our back. We're called to face those mountainous waves. We're called to navigate the waters. We're called to be what God has called us to be. That's why when Paul says to the people in Acts 27, and I believe it's the word to us tonight, we need to keep our courage. Because of what he's declared to be will take place. And in the moments that I've got left, and please hear me, I'm going to whip through these real quick. I want to give you seven brief things that will help us to stay on course. Number one, a staying on course community is a worshipping church. He says in Acts 13 that as they worship the Lord, the Holy Spirit said to them, did he say it through a prophetic word? Did he say it through a vision? We're not sure. But the Spirit of God says, separate Barnabas and Paul for the work that I've called them to do. Worship in church. And friends, when we worship the Lord, it helps us to center around Jesus. The guys did a great job tonight. They do a great job on a regular basis in leading us to the heart of God. Jesus be the center of the church. It's what's called, friends, being Christocentric. It means that at the center of this church... The reason for us turning up on a Sunday night is Jesus Christ, the living Son of God, the Son of the Most High. And we bring unashamedly and unapologetically our worship to God. Have you noticed how people can try and define the church by their attitudes? Oh, Arena, your church, you get a bit excited, don't you? And you sort of put your hands in the air and I don't know whether I can do it. These are the same people, friends, that have been to the Olympic Park this year. And when Mo Farah was winning the five and 10,000 meters, they were running up and down. In fact, some of us were doing it in our house. You know, but all of a sudden when we come to church, whoo, you know, shh. But I want to tell with every respect to every gold medalist, and I tell you, I love the Union Jack going up the pole every time. With every respect to every gold medalist in this glorious Olympic summer, we have something far greater to worship than the achievements of man. It's that Jesus Christ saved us and the value upon us never diminishes. Isn't that amazing? While they worship the Lord, the Spirit of God spoke to them. Now we understand, friends, that worship is more than a church service and worship is more than singing songs, but it is all of those things as well. Worship is more than just coming on a Sunday. Of course it is, but it is that as well. We understand also we've as leaders been at the door at times had an amazing worship service. And somebody's come up, normally with their head on the side, looking a bit doleful, and says, Phil, the worship could have gone on tonight. I know what they're saying. You've got to sort of finish the meeting and you're binding the Holy Spirit and God wanted to do lots more things. Here's the reality, friends. We've got to be out for eight o'clock. You know, 
if revival comes, he'll be flat on his back anyway, so he won't be worrying about what, what the time is, you know, the guy that locks up and opens. But the fact of the matter is sometimes we're dictated by time, but the worship always goes on. And if you don't understand that the worship always goes on, you don't understand worship. Because in school this week, as new term starts, the worship goes on. In the factory where the name of Jesus is often taken in the wrong way, the worship goes on through you. Down on the school run, as you connect with parents, the worship goes on. In the coffee shop, as you meet your friends and socialize, the worship goes on. Because the Bible says that when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is our spiritual act of worship. Friends, when we'll worship Monday to Saturday, you can imagine what Sunday night's going to be like when we all come together. Here's been the challenge of the church sometimes. Some of us haven't worshipped in the week by the way we've lived. And then, come on, friends, let's worship the Lord. As though we're pleading for people to worship. It's a lifestyle. And as they worship the Lord, it caught God's antennae and he brought revelation. I'm so sorry, friends, that the word revelation has been hijacked sometimes by sort of extremes of church. You can spend the next 30 years of your life, I'm not saying you shouldn't study the last book of the Bible, but the reality is you can sort of have a pensive look about what the horses mean and the horns and the trumpets forevermore. God wants to bring revelation to the church. It's not just about a book, it's about an unveiling of his purpose for our lives. And as we worship the Lord, God comes and God begins to speak. And God begins to minister. And I'll be as bold as to say, friends, tonight, these buildings are flowing out of revelation. They're flowing out of God speaking. I tell you, if we could take you to the owner of that factory and see him in tears on the night that we all met together and recognize that he says, you know, as soon as that email came through from you, Christian, I knew this was the thing because I know I'm on tape and everything, so I'll be careful what I say. But my wife used to work for Boots. She's left that. She now works as an, a curate in an Anglican church. And when we saw that a church wanted to reach out to the community, we realized that, that it was an amazing thing. And we've got it at a knockdown price because God's touched the man's heart. It's all flying our revelation. We want to be a worshiping community. Briefly, friends, a church that stays on track is a discipling church. At the back end of Acts chapter 11, it says these words. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, verse 25, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Paul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Jesus said in John 15, that if you are my friends, you will do what I command. What is a disciple? A disciple is one of my good friends defined it, is being in a process towards Christ-likeness. Someone put on Twitter, even today, nobody becomes accidentally like Jesus. You've got to commit yourself to it. That's discipleship. And I wonder if you've committed to the discipleship voyage. The original language of the New Testament for the word is the word metites. It simply means learner. I'm not talking simply about intellectual knowledge. I'm not just talking, friends, about filling our head. That's necessary But it's got to touch our heart and our will and our spirit. And it brings continual change for us to be committed to be devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And note to Antioch, they weren't Christians that became disciples. They were disciples that were called Christians. 
You see, because the original language of being a Christian was a nickname. People looked at the church at Antioch, saw the people were devoted followers of Jesus, and said, what can we call these people? It's like somebody comes from Liverpool, called a Liverpudlian or a Scouser, it's a nickname. They all talk like Stevie Gerrard, you know. Gonna walk on Liverpool forever. Yeah. And if you come from Glasgow, then you're a Glaswegian. If you come from Manchester, you're Manchester. It's a nickname. Defines the place where you live. But when these people looked at these disciples, they called them Christians because it defined a person they were following. And the only way they could define these people is they live like Jesus. And do you know what, friends? That's what God's called us to do. Say, whoa, I didn't realize that. No, that's the call. It's a lifetime process to Christ-likeness. And it means, friends, that we'll respond to the word of God. And I think you know that we're committed, both on a Sunday and in our midweek teaching program, to laying the word of God into our lives, not just to engage our head, but to bring us to a place where we won't just become accidentally like Jesus, but intentionally. So we'll discuss Issues like baptism, we'll talk about being filled with the Spirit. We'll, we'll challenge our sexual ethics. We'll talk about stewarding and giving. We'll implore people to live the fruit of the Spirit and change their attitudes. Why? Because the Bible does. The Bible says that disciples look at those things and make big decisions. Why in the 21st century? Yeah, in the 21st century. See, it's a call to die to self-life, not to preen it. Listen to this. Christian had an interesting conversation with a couple recently that lived quite near Ilkeston. And they're a couple that you would have been delighted to have as part of the church. They came a few times, they received a warm welcome, just lovely people. And then they had that conversation, fateful conversation. It says, Christian, we're going to another church. Oh, okay. So what's, what's that about then? Well, we're going to another church because it's too challenging in the arena. Well, can I ask you, what do we do with that? Oh, well, we didn't really mean it. You know, okay, then we're not committed to being disciples. Will you come? Please come, please come, please come. We've gone to another church. I want to tell you, friends, however much that hurts us at times, and it does, and it deflates us, we're not retreating from the discipleship journey. Because God's called us, friends, to be disciples that are defined as Christians. Thirdly, it's a ministry team-led church. In Acts chapter 13, there were prophets and teachers that released apostles. I don't know who led that church because the Bible doesn't tell us. But what I do know is a team led it. A team led it. And God says in Ephesians chapter 4 that he's given apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to enable the church to do the work of the ministry, to protect it from things that would come against them, to enable them to knit together so that we might all come to the fullness of what God has called us to be. And some of you will know that I, I get some sense of release during the week on occasions to represent uh, the fellowship of churches that we belong to on a slightly wider level. But I want to tell you, I take Arena Church into all of those contexts and people get it. And there's been a number of occasions during this summer period where I've talked about team and I've come increasingly to realize that most churches do not operate on a team model. They really don't. They operate on this it all goes to one and then other people do what that one says. It's not the model that we operate on. I tell you, Christians come across so many people say, well, how does that work then? Well, it's also like team. Yeah, but it was in church. Well, no, it's team. It's different gifts, different personalities, different t- And then we come together. All right. So 
it means I don't get all the kudos then when it grows. No, no, it's tea. Oh, right, oh, we don't like that. <laughs> Talking to a friend of mine recently, good lad. He's seeking to bring another ministry gift onto the church. He says, of course, he'll have to come under me. Why can't he come alongside him? He don't need somebody to come under him. He needs somebody to come alongside him. I want to tell you, friends, we're believing for other gift ministries to join Arena Church, to fuel the team, to bring leadership to the church. See, that's another thing about journeying. Most churches don't want leadership. You might say, well, that's a bit strong, but it's true. It's true. Most churches have set models up where the church can't be led by leaders. It's led by a diacon at boards, diocese, church councils, whatever it is. So it goes on and on. The machinations of human decision that somehow rob the church of a vision. And I think, friends, if I can say with all humility tonight, Arena Church really does try and exemplify a team model. It's not elitist. It's not separatist. It loves the people of God, engages with the people of God, and feels the people of God's heart. But God set us a course it's the sort of church that keeps us on track. Fourthly, we'll stay on track when we become increasingly a missional church. Because in verse 3 of Acts 13, it says, after they pray for them, they sent them off. They sent them off. And we're believing increasingly that actually we'll be able to do that as well. We have to send people off. It may not be that we're sending them from the church, literally, but we're sending them from the church into their mission. It may be that we are sending them from the church to India and to Africa and to China and to Eastern Europe. But that actually we continually carry a missional heart. And Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says there's four aspects to mission. Number one, Jerusalem, the doorstep of the church. It may be time to say, I'm not too bothered about so Uganda and Nigeria and Kenya, but I love Mansfield. Fantastic. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. You see? So that's on the doorstep of the church. I love my town. You know, I want to see Clipston, one for Jesus. I want to see Ollerton turned around. I want to see Barry Hill come to Christ. I want to see Ladybrook, no revival. You see, I love my town, fantastic. Because he's called people to mission in Jerusalem. And then what about Judea, the M1 corridor? So we're down at Junction 26 for Orchestra. We're up at Junction 28 for Mansfield. People say, how does that work? Well, it just works, you know. just works. And then God's given us Isaiah 54, 1 and 2, that we're going to break out to the right and the left. I look at the map again the other day and say, yeah, come on. It can happen. So Jerusalem, Judea, locally, regionally. And then what about Samaria? Samaria, friends, is determined by cross-cultural connections. We will have people that increasingly come to our church that, um, whose first language is in English. And that God will bring them to us. And we'll go to them and there'll just be an incredible connection for the glory of God and for the praise of his name. And then if you think, well, that's a bit limiting. How about this? The ends of the earth. That's the fourth thing. Locally, regionally, cross-culturally, internationally. If you've got a passion for Asia, we want to send you. If you've got a passion for Africa, we want to send you. If you've got a passion for the frozen north of the Arctic, we want to send you. The ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. A missional church. You know, one of the things that has really ticked me off in the church debate over the last few years, friends, is the debate about whether a church should be missional or attractional. As though they're different. You see, so we've got missional churches that are boring that nobody wants to go to and think they're missional, but we can have a retractional church at times that are just in with all the smoke and the strongs yeah. and, the, and nobody's coming. Yeah. The reality is, friends, that a missional church draws people to it. So I want to be part of this. Yeah. 
Because it's nice to be part of. They sing some great songs. People say hello. There's tea and coffees afterwards. It's a great vibe. What's wrong with that? And here's the other truth, friends. That most local churches that don't stay on course go from mission to maintenance without even realizing it. And so it goes from how can we win people for Jesus to how can we pay the bills? And how can we have those meetings that go on forever about whether it should be a 60-watt light bulb or an 80-watt light bulb? It goes on and on and they're awful. See, because by that time, it's not missional anymore. It's gone to maintenance. Just maintain in the church. Just had a conversation with somebody just recently, a young man, a genuine journey. And the chap came and spoke to him. Josh rightly got stuck into a bit. He says, you see, I go to a church but there's no vision. Well, I'll tell you, friends, and I've said this very, very sincerely tonight because we have never sort of said it's just about our church. It's about the church in the town. But if you go to a church without a vision, you need to get out of that church because the Bible says that without a vision, people perish. It may be a long, slow journey over 30 years, death by a thousand services, but the reality is, friends, it's gone. It's gone. And you need to be part of a community that's got a vision. Because with a vision, people flourish. An arena church, staying on course, is committed to being missional. Arena church is committed to being missional. People are always on our minds. There is a song. But I've only done an Elvis impression once and we're going to move on really, really quickly. <laughs> Time, time's going. Come on, kids. <laughs> Briefly, number five, when we stay on course, we're a generous church. End of Acts chapter 11, Agabus brings a prophetic word to the Antioch church and says, your brothers and sisters in Judea are in trouble because of famine coming. Okay, let's take an offering up. And month after month, when we take these mercy offerings, friends, as well as our regular offering, we are recognizing we're staying on course. One of our DNA statements says that we will recognize that we are blessed by God's amazing generosity to us and so liberated to this journey of a generous life. Set free, friends, to bless the work of God. Let's do it. Sixthly, we're an accountable church. At the end of Acts chapter 14, at the end of the first missionary journey where these people have been sent, churches have been planted, miracles have taken place, Hundreds of people have got saved. Today, friends, they've been on God's channel saying, whoa, whoa, new ministry arising. Whoa, don't forget to sow into my ministry. When you're not sowing into the ministry of the church you belong to. You know. But what did these people do? They went back to the church that had sent them and gave a report of all that had taken place. Utterly accountable. Can I be bold, friends, and say, be a lone ranger if you like. It's not going to work. Be a person that kicks and screams. Here's a comment sometimes. What do they need to know about it? They being me and him. What do they need to know about it for? Well, we don't need to know about everything, friends. But actually, if you'll bring a heart of accountability, God will release you into something that's amazing. Amazing. But if you bypass the principle of being accountable to people that love you, bless you, pray for you, and cheer you on, I want to tell you, it'll never work. It'll never work. And lastly, they were in a church. At the end of Acts chapter 15, there's been a big meeting in, in uh, Jerusalem. And they're going to have a big meeting. And they're going to have a 